Grace and peace to you from God and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That was so beautiful, Brad. I don't even think I need to preach, but I will. <laughs> but I will. Well, I'm glad that you have come today as we gather together for University Chapel. There's something about this rhythm of stopping to pause in the middle of the week. When our to-do lists are brimming over with deadlines, we set those to-do lists aside to gather, to sing, to pray, to wonder, to pause. It is good, Lord, to be here. The theme for this semester's University Chapel series in the fall is the word sustain. Musicians will recognize the logo as a formata, which means that note that you hold that is sustained. What sustains the human spirit? Do you, like me, feel a deep longing for more? I'm not referring to stuff when I say more as if our contentment would rise in the direct proportion to the magnitude of our bookshelves or our bank accounts, the size of our closets or cars. Many of us search for more meaning and purpose in our being, more connection to God and to life that is centered even when it may be unbalanced. Each week at University Chapel, a person this fall will reflect about a commitment or a practice that has sustained them on their life journey. Some of these practices might be ancient ones that followers of God have been practicing through the centuries. Others may derive from a personal experience through which balance and focus has been the gift given to them from the hand of a loving God. Could it be that the gifts of sustenance and connection to God are right in front of us in the midst of the world and that God's blessing flows through them? Some years back, Scott and I had the opportunity to visit Estes Park, Colorado. Our intention was to relax and do some hiking with friends from grad school. The crowning jewel of the peak was to be that climb to the summit of Pikes Peak, which rises up over 14,000 feet, and then to end the night with a gourmet meal, lots of wine, cooked by somebody else. <laughs> now, if you've been there, you know that hiking in the Rocky Mountain uh, National Park is a breathtaking experience that does wear out your oohs and ahs. To prepare for it, Scott and I had spent months working out and running in the hopes that we could take on that altitude without our bodies revolting and going on strike. Yet I found that when my body was weary from the hike, instead of looking out and up and appreciating the grandeur, I would tip my head downward and look at my feet and listen to the sound of our footfall. Often our friend Woody would call out, he's young and spry, well, I guess we were too at that time, but he would call out from the front of the line and he'd say, hey, look, and I would pause to notice something right in front of me, something to which I had previously not paid attention. One of his calls was to alert me to a cairn a small stack of rocks marking the path. The stones were balanced in a freewheeling sort of way, designed to stand up for a long time without falling. 
Someone before me had walked this ground, defining the trail for future travelers, or maybe even for themselves to communicate the way home if they got lost. By arranging a pile of stones, the marker would be visible some distance away. This would be especially helpful above the tree line because there's few alternatives for painting a tree or putting a marker on it in some way. The Carnes were lovely and artistically arranged, communicating a, a calm stillness through their smooth surfaces of sandy gray and brown with ribbons of black and sage green here and there. As I looked at those stones, I felt a, a communion between my present reality and that to the past as well as the future. Those who crafted these rocks into towers were thinking of somebody who would come after them. And we who would find them and follow their trail were trusting travelers who, like them, journeyed into the future. Now, I will admit that these assemblages transported my mind from my weary feet to those hands that had gathered the stones and the bent over backs that fashioned them to stack upright. I wondered how long would it take them to get this to stand up in this way? I imagined the trial and effort, trial and error method they must have used to get it just right. Who were these people? Where had they journeyed from? What were their names? In that time of reflection and pause, I learned something that it's really easy for me to forget, and that is that I don't have to travel halfway around the world in search of treasure. It is right before my eyes. The handprint of other fellow journeyers is everywhere. The markings of God's presence can still be seen. It is true what Elizabeth Barrett Browning said when she penned earths crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God, but only he or she who sees takes off their shoes. The rest sit round and pluck blackberries. Could it be that young Jacob, that younger of the two twins born to our Old Testament ancestors, Isaac and Rebekah, whose story we read about in a portion of the reading today from Genesis, was the first to build such a carn when he took that stone and used it for a pillow, fresh off the heels of stealing the birthright from his older twin brother Esau and hiding out lest Esau's rage consume him, he is, a wilderness, he is in the wilderness far away from every comfort he has known. He's a fugitive in exile with no place to rest his head. Taking a stone as a pillow, he sleeps only to be filled with images from a very vivid dream. He sees a ladder stretching up far into the heavens, bright angels traveling to and fro, doing whatever it was was their daily work. Yet that is not all. Unexpectedly, God shows up without warning, without a fanfare. Jacob is found, discovered by God, right in the middle of his sleep. 
Now, some Bibles translate verse 13 to say that the Lord stood above the ladder as if God was perched way up there in some heavenly realm. Yet, in the Hebrew text, God's location is less than clear. The same prepositional phrase that is translated above it may also be translated beside him, meaning that the Lord might be right beside Jacob, very much present and accounted for, as close to Jacob as the air that he breathes. God confirms the Lord's attention to be with Jacob and journey with him in all of his travels. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And then at the morning light, Jacob wakes up. I can imagine as he rubs the sleep from his eyes, the dream does not diminish. He's still far away from home. He's still on the run. The complexities of his existence have not altered any way at all. Perhaps as he looks around and takes stock of his surroundings, everything looks just as it did before. Yet nothing is the same. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. I think somebody would say today, I didn't have a clue. Maybe he's compelled then to mark the trail for future travelers, or maybe even for himself so he can find his way home. He takes that stone, his crude pillar, and sets it upright as a marker, a testament to what he has seen and heard. Pouring oil upon the stone, he calls that place Bethel, which translates the house of God. His life is forever altered. His eyes are opening. God is with him. He does not journey alone. What does sustain the human spirit? Where might we go as we feel a deep longing for more meaning and purpose, for more connection to God and to life? This is the question that saints and sinners like us have wrestled with for generations. Perhaps the psalmist gives us an answer when he writes, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle in the farthest limits of the seas, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand hold me fast. We're left with a promise that God will never leave us or forsake us. God will sustain. Marty Haugen says it well in the opening hymn we sang today, not in the dark of buildings confiding, not in some heaven light years away, but here in this place, on this campus, in this universe. The new light is shining. Now is the kingdom. Now is the day. It may only be a promise, yet it comes from the right hand of a promise-keeping God. I pray that through this semester and through these chapel uh, services, you will rediscover the gifts of sustenance 
and connection to God, what you need for daily bread. And may you discover that those gifts are right here in front of you, in the midst of the world, and God's blessing is flowing through them. Amen.